Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hey friends, welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, episode 114. And the very first episode of 2021, we have so many great guests and topics in store for you this year. So one new thing that we're really excited about adding this year is understanding adoption through the lens of the Enneagram. So we want to invite you to join us on a journey of gaining powerful insight into your experience as an adoptive or foster parent using the wisdom of the Enneagram as our guide. The Enneagram helps us make sense of our stories while also giving us insight and compassion for the people we love. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, go ahead, pause this episode and go back to episode 85 with Jeff and Beth McCord. Today, we've invited four of our good friends to share how understanding the Enneagram has influenced their experience as foster and adoptive moms. Each one represents a different Enneagram number. We hope you find these short interviews as fascinating as we do. Well, Lahia, welcome back to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thank you for having me again. I'm so excited. All of the guests in today's episode are foster or adoptive moms, but you also have an additional role and contribution that you're making to the adoption world. So before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about your family and your work? I am, as you mentioned, an adoptive mom. We adopted privately, um, domestically um, as an infant. Um, So our son is now 15, um, but I was in the delivery room when he was born, which um, I just love sharing that with folks because it's such a cool, neat Um, perspective that I didn't think I would ever have the opportunity to experience. My um, husband and I um, have been married for 20, almost 21 years. He is what I like to call a white guy from Jersey. And and I am um, a daughter of immigrants, um, Hispanic immigrants from New York City. Professionally, I think what makes me um, a little bit different is that I am also in the work of adoptions through child welfare. So I am the director of adoptions for the city of Tampa, Florida. And I have been doing that a little over two years now. Um, And we finalize anywhere from 300 to 400 adoptions a year. Wow. It's so impressive. I'm yeah, really always curious about the work that you're doing and, and your work and your voice in the world of transracial adoption, I think has been really, really important. So thank you for all the work you're doing in the office and out of the office and and with your family. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. So how did you first hear about the Enneagram, Lahia? (laughs) From you, actually. uh, (laughs) um, One of my good friends, um, Allison Little, is huge into Enneagrams. And she told me about it probably two years ago. She was like, I'm so curious to know what you land on. Have you taken a quiz? I took a quiz back then. Couldn't remember it when you asked me. And I'm just being fully honest. I didn't, um, until I did it um, recently, you know, I didn't really know what I was. And so um, I'm kind of borderline between a two and a three. Um, I believe it's achiever and helper. And I wanted to lean more towards achiever, um, towards helper, just because, um, the Achiever one made me seem, <laughs> it made me uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. One is, um, I think for me, it just felt like I was, it pointed a picture to, I want approval from others. And that was a struggle for me. And then I started thinking about my son and 
anyway, <laughs> it went it went deep. Um, so I'm really excited that you guys are making time to kind of talk about how this connects to parenting, specifically parenting children who have been adopted. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's funny. Uh, I think it was Ian Morgan Cron who wrote the road back to you. He said, one of the things that you can think about when you're reading the book, trying to identify your type is the type that makes you want to throw the book across the room might be your type. <laughs> that was my type. <laughs> that was my type of uh, the achiever. And, you know, when I look back on my life, um, yes. And, and I've always been in competition with myself. How can I outdo the last thing I did? And how can I outdo the last thing I did? So much so that when um, I became an adoptive mom, I had to be the best adoptive mom. Now we know. <laughs> <There is no>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's how I felt initially. Like, I've got to get this right, especially because I had been an adoption professional. So how, how am I going to get this wrong? Um, but you get it really, really wrong a lot of the times. <laughs> and you, um, you know, with grace and um, forgiveness, you figure it out and you, you know, one of the things that I'm learning as an achiever, which I'll claim um, for this podcast, I'll claim it, um, is that there are things that are way out of our control. And if 2020 has taught you that, I know, right? I think I think out of all the moms in the world, adoptive moms were definitely a little bit more prepared for what 2020 did, which is it just blew all our plans out of the water. And um, as adoptive parents, we have to navigate that all the time. And so I think that for me, um, when you're an achiever, you want to control everything. You want to make sure the plan is what the plan is. And so um, this year, I have been definitely broken from all my plans, just kind of going with it and seeing as a mom, seeing how it impacts parenting as well. You know, the plans we have for our kids are not the plans they have for themselves, you know. So yeah. for me, I think that as an achiever, you know, I wonder if I put some of those same expectations on my child, my marriage, my relationships. And so I'm uh, learning a lot about myself this year and trying to navigate all those pieces. Yeah. And uh, kudos to you, because we were talking before we hit record about, you know, how even just thinking about yourself through your core motivations, your dominant type is relatively new to you. And just like that, in the last, you know, three minutes, you really unpacked so much about what's important to type threes and how it impacts all of the things. Um, you're exactly right that threes love to have a plan to know how to be successful, whatever they deem successful. And, and it is a little different for every three. No two threes look exactly alike. Um, and so quickly already you're connecting the dots between, you know, being the best adoptive parent, the best adoption professional, how it impacts maybe the plans that you've uh, had for your marriage and your, and your son. And um, yeah. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and just sharing a little piece of that. So Lahia, can you talk a little bit about, you know, just what it's like to kind of constantly have your eye on a goal on, whatever, you know, success looks like and having to be flexible, um, as an adoptive mom? Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll, I think the easiest way for me to kind of explain it would be through education. And so I think, um, when our son was born, um, he had some complications and which impacted his ability to learn. Um, a lot of adoptive parents experienced that. So our son, 
I was savvy in getting him an IEP. I knew the system. I knew which teachers to talk to. I knew which principals to talk to because I adopted in the same city town that I lived in. And so I had really great connections in the adoption community and in the education community where I think the challenges came in for me was, um, you know, I really wanted him to read and to thrive at reading and to love it like I did, even though I struggled with reading as a child. I didn't want that for him. And so that meant I was going to push and I was going to push really hard and I was going to have these really high expectations. And really, um, at the end of the day, I had to just stop (laughs) and I had to get creative about ways that he could love reading um, and be okay if he never did. And I think that, you know, as as adoptive parents, um, a lot of us come into adoption because it's it's one of the only ways to grow our family. Um, but when we step into that world, um, at least for myself, I had to all these preconceived notions of what I thought my fantasy child was going to be like, the same things I trained all these hundreds of families on all the time. Um, I had to live out. And that meant, you know, saying goodbye to that vision of what I thought a child would be like and embracing the child my child actually is. Um, and that's what flexibility for me in parenting has given me. And I'm still working on it. Like, by no means yeah. <laughs> am I, you know, at 100%. Keep us humble, I think right? <laughs> if my teenager was sitting right here, he'd be like, uh, she's got some work to do. You know, um, but for sure, for sure. But that I, I, I acknowledge that about myself. I know that about myself. Um, and I understand that, you know, because I am, a, uh, I want to achieve many things all at once. Um, I think that I've, I've also learned, um, that it's okay if he just has one goal, <laughs> not 17 pots, you know, um, cooking at the same time. And so for me, um, just learning that he's different, um, he's my son and, um, I'm going to love him as he is. Um, and I think that's where the flexibility comes in, right? Letting go of all those ideas that we thought our kids should be kind of like our parents did to us. And none of that ever really works out. I just, I just want him to be a happy human. And so, you know, that's what we, we focus on now. And, um, and you know what happened over time? Academically, he, he, he came to be a great reader and he's a great student. And he came to that on his own merit. And I think that that definitely um, has been big for us too, especially for him. Yeah. And I think that what the Enneagram gifts to us is that what makes one human happy is not what makes another human happy, right? You probably can't imagine a world where you could be happy without a goal that you're reaching towards, right? <laughs> I'm always like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And my husband is the same way. He's a lot like my son. And he's like, I, I'm good. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, like... <laughs> I just mowed the yard. I'm good. Um, so definitely um, learning a lot about how that impacts me as a mother um, has been beneficial for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Lahia, for taking a couple minutes out of your busy life and sharing some insights about how the Enneagram has shaped you as an adoptive mom and an adoption professional. We really, really appreciate it. Good. Thank you so much. Well, hi, Jamie. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Hey, friend. I'm happy to be back and always happy to be talking to you. So Yes, that is very, very mutual. So we are talking about the Enneagram today. Can you just give people, tell everybody your name 
and what your role is in the adoption world personally, and then a little bit about what you do for your work. I am right now the mother of six children. I have two biological children, two adopted children, and two uh, through foster care. So I have my hands full. Well, I'm saying that to you, who (laughs) you put everyone to shame, but... (laughs) No, you have your hands full. I agree with that. (laughs) As for my role in the adoption community, I love to write. And so I write about anything that I'm experiencing. And for the past seven years, that's been my experiences as a foster mother and an adoptive mother. So I am the author of Foster the Family blog and social media platforms and the host of the Real Mom podcast. Okay. So tell me about how or when did you first hear about the Enneagram? What was your first exposure? Sure. I think it was probably on social media and seeing other people talking about their number and being a number that I'll reveal to you in a second. (laughs) I don't like to be left out of anything. (laughs) I want to be a part of everything. So I'm like, what is this thing? People like this. I have to get into this. I took a test, which I think we all know now isn't always the best way to find out your number, but I am such a strong number that I, the test worked. It was, it was so clear what I was. And then to see myself so clearly in a test, I became just so intrigued and learning more and studying. And so I've read a a number of books and just kind of jumped into this because I found so much help in it. So what is your number? What did you discover? Yeah. So I am a seven. If you know a seven, you know that a FOMO uh, mindset, we don't want to be left out of anything. And I am a seven. I wing eight pretty strongly. So I have a personality that for me, I know a lot of people talk about the the fun, always fun, and that's part of it for me. But the the big thing for me is the drive for more, the drive for satisfaction, the drive for adventure and excitement. So that's the strong piece that I see. And then because I wing eight, it means that I'm I'm happy to speak my mind. I usually know what I think and I'm going to share it. And the seven parts of me, I think, can come out even stronger because I wing eight. Right. And that eight makes you really comfortable leading too, I think, you know, like just speaking out, bringing people along, all those kinds of things. So yeah, that that excitement to just step out and do something and then, okay, come along with me. I've been that way since I was a kid. And in the work that I'm doing now in, you know, writing and speaking, and then in the executive director of a nonprofit, it's just been the way that I function this. This is great. We should do something. Let's do it. Everyone come with me and we're going to change the world. (laughs) I love it. I love it. On a personal level, how does knowing your number influence how you experience adoption and being an adoptive mom and foster mom? So I think one piece of it is I used to say that I thrive in chaos. And I don't think anyone thrives in chaos. I certainly don't. But what I do is I crave a little bit of chaos. I crave stimuli. I crave excitement and adventure. And so probably the hardest part of motherhood for me is when I had this baby and I was sitting at home with it all day. (laughs) And I was like, is this really what it is? And I, you know, I was 
bored. Honestly, I loved her to death, but the feelings of kind of, is this all there is were, were really extreme. So I think that that has been a big piece in foster care. I see each piece as an adventure and it's, it's hard and it's messy and it's not always fun, but it's always something that I'm doing that's important and worthwhile and taking up my energy. And I go to sleep exhausted every night, feeling like I worked my butt off for the good of someone else. And so I definitely see that piece in the foster care, foster mom part of me, Mm -hmm. that it's just been this, this drive to like, take on the world, change the world and see each new step as an adventure. As for the part of me being an adoptive mom, I think, you know, sevens are pretty good at reframing. And so I have, you know, these deep theological beliefs that for me, when things become hard, I spend a few minutes in my mind and I can pretty quickly switch into the what is good about this, where the hope is, where the the call is, what the action is, instead of being just mired down and stuck in the emotion and the hard. So as an adoptive mom, you know, whether it's processing my kids' stories or or dealing with the trauma in our home and, and the challenging behaviors or the loss that I've experienced even as an adoptive mom. I can pretty quickly and easily reframe and I rarely stay deep in an emotion or a thought for longer than like a day. I can, I can kind of like flip out of it by, oh, where's the good in this? Where's the, the hope? What is there to do instead of just the feeling of it? Well, one of my daughters is a seven who wings eight and she okay. is so much like you in that, you know, like. <laughs> She finds she has a ton of energy and enthusiasm and passion. Yeah. And her faith is so strong that she also will pretty quickly reframe everything. Yeah. And and there's something wonderful about that, you know, but sometimes she does have to work hard to get to the the deeper feelings to let herself sometimes stay in the sadness or stay in the hard for a little bit, because we do need to do that. You know, Absolutely. but yeah, when I, when I started going to therapy, my therapist said, you put, you spiritually bypass, you put on theological band-aids pretty quickly mm-hmm. and go, well, God is good. So let's move on. Or like, well, that was meant to be so. And I think what I experienced because of that, you know, sevens, we don't sometimes know how to manage our own energy. And so we just go, go, go. And then until our bodies make us stop. So your spirit might be go, but then your body eventually comes in. And that happened to me hard. I just, my body shut me down because I had years of, of grief and of overworking myself too hard because of the energy and enthusiasm that I had to work through. And so therapy has been super helpful. And I, my therapist, I'm so grateful. She's trauma informed. She's an adoptee and she's also really Enneagram fluent. And so I could talk this way with, oh, she's the best. (laughs) But she she would often say like, yep, that is a very seven thing of you. You need to think this way. And it was really helpful. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad you mentioned that about therapy because I I am a fan of therapy. I think it helps all of us at different seasons, you know, and we know that adoption and foster care bring a lot of um, 
emotions and they can bring up a lot of stuff, even from our own childhoods. And it's complicated. There's just so much involved. And so therapy is a great, great thing. So, all right. Anything else you want to add about the Enneagram? I think that the Enneagram has helped me to love others better. It has put this thing deep in my heart that God makes people to be who they are and that the expectations that I have for everyone to sort of think like me or be like me or it's really helped me, even though I, you know, I know it can be dangerous to type your children and I don't even know guesses for some of my kids types, what it's put in me. And I think this is the benefit of it, even if you're not a student of the Enneagram, the benefit of it is accepting that people are who they are and that they need to grow and there are struggles, but that the core of who we are can be a celebration of our individual personalities. Because if we were all the same, you know, if my husband wasn't a one, I would be in big trouble. And (laughs) if I didn't have people around me who were twos and I took on too much all the time, I wouldn't have anyone to, you know, clean up my mess along with me when I was taking on (laughs) So I think it's really put in me an appreciation for who people are and an acceptance of how God has made them to be, that they are perfectly who they are meant to be, even when there are points that they need to grow in. Absolutely. I think it it has increased my compassion for my husband, my kids, people around me, you know, because it's so clear, of course, as as we all learned about the Enneagram, there are nine basic types and then all of those types have variations. And so it really helps us to see, like you said, that God really has made us all so unique. And just because I see and think things in a certain way does not mean that my husband's going to, my kids are going to, you know, it's, it's just different. So, and that's your unique gift to them and their unique gift to you. And the more we can see each other in that capacity, the more in relationship we can grow to who we are meant to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I hope that we'll be talking with you more about the Enneagram as we move into 2021 and the work that Melissa and I are going to be doing. I love to talk Enneagram anytime and I love to talk to you. So thanks. Whitney, welcome back to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited. So just to review, um, will you refresh our memory in terms of kind of what role you play in the adoption world? Uh, You are an adoptive mom, as all of our guests are in this episode, but you also have some other pretty special contributions you're making. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So my husband and I have three adopted children. They're all biological siblings from the Republic of Congo. And in 2011, 2012-ish, we started a nonprofit to advocate for vulnerable children and family. And it's called the Archibald Project. We use storytelling to inspire people to care for vulnerable children. Yeah. And that came actually before your adoption. It did. Your yes. We, mm-hmm. We've been in the orphan care world for about nine years. Through the work with the Archibald Project, we actually met our children. And Whitney told her story in a previous episode of the podcast. So we will definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, I actually don't know what episode it is off the top of my head, but I promise (laughs) it'll be there. So super fun. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Before we jump in, 
what is your dominant Enneagram type? I am a very proud Enneagram four. I love how you said that. Do you feel like that's true? For, or was it always true for you? Or did you ever feel like you didn't want to be your number? I know some people have dicey relationships with their numbers. Yeah, no, totally. I didn't know I was a four. I thought I was a seven because I'm very spontaneous and I like to do things that other people don't always do. So I thought I was like a fun, creative seven that like would, you know, start a nonprofit and move to Uganda and then move to the Congo and do all these crazy things. And a few people throughout the years that are really close to me were like, you're not a seven, you're a four. And I was like, I'm not a four. And I listened to Ian Cron's podcast. And every time he's a four, and every time he would talk about being a four, I was like, that's interesting. I don't know. And then I, he did one episode and I was like, oh my goodness, that is me. And I came out and I told my husband, I was like, I think I'm a four. And he was like, I've been telling you you're a four for the past like two years. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm a four. And now every, it just makes sense. It makes yeah. so much sense. Well, Suzanne Stabile has often said that, especially as children, sevens and fours are almost impossible to tell the difference because there is really? something about newness um, and uniqueness that they really like, but for different reasons, right? Because the motiv mm -hmm. motivation is all the Enneagram, not behavior. Um, and so I think fours and sevens share a lot of commonalities in some senses when it comes to, like you said, like unique and different and sevens love new things, but fours also don't want to be the same as everyone else. And so I think that drives them yeah. towards, mm -hmm. you know, totally. different and new. I, and I think there's something, you know, interesting there. A lot of times we'll talk about how it's kind of a no, no in the Enneagram world to type other people. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you needed to come to that realization kind of on your own. Um, but also those people who are really close to us can also be great mirrors for us as we're on our journey, if they're willing yeah. to be, honest with us. And if we're willing to hear it, of course, yeah, um, absolutely. as a part of our journey. And I think the other lesson is, um, you know, typing's tricky and it's, uh, only something that is, I think Ian Morgan Cron talks about it as, um, self-confirming, right? Like no one can tell you you're not a number if that's how you identify. And it, it is a really personal journey, but also it can have twists and turns. I mistyped as a type one for a long time, uh, before I realized I am actually a seven. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think typing in the Enneagram world. Yeah. It's, it's, it can be tricky and it's not the, um, it's not the end all be all like, there's a lot that the Enneagram can teach us, even if we're not sure of our dominant type or yeah. the people around us. And we uh, all are a bit of every number, right? Like every, there's a bit of every bit thing. Yeah, we all, yeah, we all have, we all have behaviors from all the numbers for sure. Um, it's a, it's a kind of like core motivation, the thing that, that really is driving the bus behind all those behaviors that I think tells us the most about our dominant type. So how did you first discover the Enneagram? We listened to a podcast, um, from a church in Portland and years ago, the pastor was really into Enneagram and they were hosting an Enneagram conference. It was really interesting to us to get to like just learn about it and so we started then listening to different podcasts and following different social media accounts and reading different articles and that's kind of the extent of it we we once we found our numbers and we were pretty solid in who we were like type number um we started using it a lot in our marriage and in our jobs and in our relationships with people like you alluded to 
how does knowing your number, how has that influenced how you've processed your experience as an adoptive mom? How has it played into who you are as an adoptive mom? Well, I think I was actually thinking about this earlier today because I knew I was going to be talking to you. And I think that being a four is really hard. It's like really beautiful because I think as a four, we feel everything. We feel everything very deeply and very heavily, but that that can be good and bad. So like when things are really hard and when trauma is like in your face and you're like lamenting this pain for your child, it's, it can be a really dark and heavy space to live in. But then on the other side, you, we get to experience all these beautiful feelings of healing and hope and joy. And and so that can be really sweet as well. But I think that something that's been really helpful for my husband and I is being able to recognize if we're going in a down, downward place, recognizing like, hey, maybe something's off and we need to address that within ourselves so that we can be better caregivers and moms, like a mom and a dad to our children, because these signs that I'm displaying are showing that I'm not, I'm not really healthy right now. And I think that's been really huge. For those who are newer to the Enneagram, one of the beauties of the Enneagram is it's not really this personality box that kind of boxes you in, but it's, there's a lot of movement. And I think like you said, Whitney, one of the beautiful pieces that it gives us is it tells us what our tendencies are based on our personality, mm-hmm. you know, how we look when we're stressed out, when we're not doing well, when we're not super healthy, when we aren't feeling very secure, when we're feeling stressed um, and knowing those things ahead of time. Beth McCord talks about them as these like rumble strips right on the road, like these behavior start to rumble and kind of give us a clue. Or even for those who have people close to us that we trust, clues to our spouses or the, our mm-hmm. friend, close friends, right? So I don't always recognize my stress behaviors right away, but my husband certainly does. And right. for years, right? For years, they would trigger him and he would escalate. He'd be like, why are you being, you know, why are you being so critical of everyone? You know, why, what did I do? Like, what's your problem? And now <laughs> he's able to say, like, Hey, like, are you stressed about something or do you need a break? Or like, he has a lot more compassion about what those behaviors mean. Um, Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really helped me. I know you're not supposed to type your kids, but we have some ideas of what our kids are (laughs) and that can help us also to identify signs of health or unhealth. Well, and I, I think, you know, we're curious human beings and I think obviously we can't keep our brains from going to some of those places. I think the biggest part of the not typing other people is kind of keeping it close to us, you know, not walking around and telling our kids, oh, you're such an eight. Oh, <laughs> you're totally. such a one. We, no, they don't even know about the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It does inform. And I think it gives us a lot of compassion also, right. To know that behaviors, you know, we talk a lot about this in therapeutic parenting anyway, the behaviors do have things that they're communicating. And so the Enneagram just gives us another lens to help us, you know, be a detective about those behaviors and yeah, more information. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you would want adoptive families to know about the Enneagram? Okay. I just, I love it. And I think that it can be really helpful, especially when dealing with harder subjects like trauma and pain. I think the Enneagram can be really helpful. So it's just another tool in your toolbox. I know you're a busy lady, Whitney. Thank you so much for taking a couple minutes. 
and sharing a little bit more of your journey with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, hello, Amber. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here. Today, we are talking about the Enneagram. So before we get into that, will you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are? Um, I Amber Reynolds, and we, my husband and I, we live in northern Illinois on a farm. We have pigs and chickens and lots of space for our kiddos to run around. Um, we have been foster parents for a little over four years. We currently have four foster kids in our house under the age of five. So we have a lot of little people running around. Our house is very loud. Anybody that ever comes over is astonished by how loud our house is. But yeah, so our kids are five, four, three, and five months right now. So I'm very tired. (laughs) But we are currently in the process of adopting our big three who are biological siblings out of foster care. Wonderful. Okay. So tell me, before we get into what your number is, tell me how you first heard about the Enneagram. What was your first exposure? I first heard about the Enneagram because my sister actually sent me um, something on Instagram that was about how, um, it was about the Enneagram. It was an Enneagram account about how if you were called bossy as a kid, you were probably an eight on the Enneagram. <laughs> and, and so she said this to me. She's like, you have to know about this. You have to learn about this. And I was a um, public relations communication major in college. I graduated with a double degree in um, public relations and marketing. And through that, we did always were doing Myers-Briggs, personality tests and color tests and all of that. So once the Enneagram came on the scene a, a couple of years ago, when it got real popular, I was all about it. So I started doing the research and reading books. And yeah, so my sisters and I are real into all things Enneagram now. So you just mentioned the number that your sister thought you were. Mm -hmm. Did that turn out to be correct? 100%. 100%. Yep. So I'm an eight. Um, I have a strong seven wing. I always say I seek justice and want a party everywhere I go. So <laughs> those are my things. Um, and I, I would say that very rarely do eights mistype because of our strong personalities. Um, it's pretty easy to to spot an eight. <laughs> did you ever, in the process of learning about the Enneagram, did you ever wonder if you were a different number? Yeah. and And sometimes people do say, oh, you must be a seven because I have a lot of interests, a lot of hobbies. I get real excited about things really fast. Um, so I think that sometimes a step, the more that I think about my true self and what, where I am sent when I'm in my center, um, I definitely am a strong, strong eight. So we call the eight, the protective challenger. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You eights are very much about justice they tend to be strong, which I see in you just knowing you through Instagram, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you do have that really fun side. And so that, that, that definitely shines through. So how does knowing your number influence your experience as a foster mom and now becoming an adoptive mom? Yeah, so I, um, man, having a strong personality is a blessing and a, and a curse right? Like that challenger piece that the eight on the Enneagram is. Sometimes I have to take a step back and and back off, but it has helped me in the foster care world to be able to see and have these gut reactions to what is right and what is wrong. Pretty quickly, I can discern 
okay, this is, this is not right. This is not wrong or this is wrong. And then I'm able to, you know, confront a caseworker or stand before a judge and speak truth and justice for the kids that are in my care. We've had uh, nine kids total in our care. And through all of those cases, through all of the court dates and the back and forth with the family, I'm able to advocate real strongly because I, I don't mind the conflict or the confrontation when it comes to advocating for their best needs. Um, I don't, um, I often struggle more with the mercy and the empathy piece of it. And so I have to really work harder on there. Uh, I love Micah 6, 8, where it says to seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly. Cause I always feel like the Lord is saying like, seek justice. Okay. I got that one. That one's easy, <laughs> but these commands I give to you to love mercy and to walk humbly. And so those, those are kind of my, that's my guiding verse as we're walking through this. And, and so the justice piece, the advocating that comes super easy to me because I don't avoid that conflict. Mm, that is so interesting. Do you find that that justice piece in you makes you feel more frustrated with the system, the whole foster care system? <laughs> like I'm just thinking that must just make you feel like steam's coming out of your ears sometimes. hundred percent. I always say it's not that hard. It would not be that hard to make the system different if if I could just be in charge of all of it. I keep threatening to run for some sort of government seat because I'm like, oh, my goodness, people, this is not that hard. If I were in charge of everything, it would be perfect. <laughs> if I were running the world. <laughs> yes. I yeah, I, I get a real righteous anger like this because I, I that just I just get so angry. And so I, I really have had to work, especially over the last four years um, of being working in the system. I've really had to work on turning that real anger and taking a breath, taking a step back, talking through it with my sister, who is also a parent or my husband, talking through it with them and then saying like, OK, now I can go to the people I need to with righteous anger and advocate. You know, when we became foster parents, you know, we became foster parents really unexpectedly. We were asked right. to take in this teen girl who ended up being a real joy and blessing for us. But I remember my friend telling me he, he's a very involved in foster care and adoption. He's an attorney. And he said to me, Lisa, just remember, you can't fix the roller coaster while you're riding it. So mm -hmm. as a foster parent, you're going to be riding that roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Don't try to fix it at the same time. And I'm not an eight, but I do get really frustrated when things are just yeah. ridiculous, you know? Out and of control. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Control is a bit of an issue, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were a child, being an eight, what was that like? How do you think your mom experienced you? Oh, I was so bossy. I was so bossy. And um, I am the oldest of four siblings. We are very spaced out. So I have a sister who's two years younger than me. We're, we're best friends. We were college roommates. We did everything together. And then I have a sister who's eight years younger. And my brother is almost 16 years younger. And so I was I was the second mom in the house. So I was bossy. But my mom used that to her advantage and let me kind of mother my, my siblings a little bit, be in charge of things. I was in charge of, man, at a real young age, I was in charge of making lunches. I was in charge of, you know, I started babysitting often when I was 12, I was, I was homeschooled. So I'd watch other homeschool kids during the day and, and the leadership just came super naturally to me. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I imagine with that seven wing, it also brings a lot of energy. So you oh, could yeah. probably get a stinking lot done. I did. I could get a lot. I could get a lot done. And I was, I just had a very magnetic personality as, as like, especially like in junior high, I just remember like I could, I could get people to do what I, what I wanted them to do. It was very, cause it was a lot of fun. Whatever we were going to do was going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I love that. I love it. Well, is there anything else that you want to share about how the Enneagram has impacted your life? You know, we're, we're getting ready to go deep with the Enneagram for adoptive and foster parents in 2021. So what, how, what other ways has it impacted your life? How do you think it could help other adoptive and foster parents? Yeah, I, I know that we aren't supposed to project numbers onto other people, but learning more about the Enneagram and learning more about myself and my true self and, and where I go when I'm when I'm hurt or angry and where I go, like understanding who I am has helped me better regulate my emotions for when I, when we are going through all of these trials. I mean, our, our pending adoption with our oldest three has been an insane wild ride. They've been placed with us for over three years and it's just been up and back and forth. And, and I feel the, the Enneagram has really helped center who I am and understand how my husband is walking through this. He's a five on the Enneagram. And him and I together, I mean, we process zero things the same. Everything that is thrown at us is processed differently. But because we know each other's numbers and have really, you know, gone deep into what that means for us and like how he's processing, I know that I need to leave him alone for at least two days to get through processing what's going to happen where I would be an immediate word vomit of of processing everything um, and want to take action right away. And so because we've been able to dive into the Enneagram. Um, we've been where our marriage is stronger and better because we, we know how to better love each other through that. Um, I think my relationship with my children is better and our caseworkers um, because I can better identify with what's going on because we are all so different. We're all so different um, going even deeper than the Enneagram. You know, God made us so uniquely us that, that these numbers just help us helped me and help my husband better identify the things that are happening within us when we are emotional, when there are big life changes or big life decisions going on in our life. Mm, That is so good. So helpful. I hope we'll get a chance to talk more about this with you because, you know, we're just starting. We're at the very beginning of this, but I would love to have a deeper conversation with you about this. And I think it'd be wonderful. I would love that. Thank you so much for spending all the time with me today. Thank you, Lisa. We hope these interviews piqued your curiosity about how the Enneagram can help us as adoptive and foster parents. As certified Enneagram coaches, Lisa and I will be introducing more opportunities to learn about the Enneagram throughout this year. Our first Enneagram group for adoptive moms is already full, but head to the adoptionconnection.com slash Enneagram to be the first to know about new opportunities as we roll them out. As an example, we have an upcoming Enneagram typing session for adoptive and foster moms. If you are brand new to the Enneagram or just need some help figuring out what your dominant type is, this will happen live on Tuesday, January 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Again, to find out more, head to theadoptionconnection.com slash Enneagram, enter your email. After you enter your email, you'll have access to the information for this upcoming typing session. Hurry, spots are limited.
If you want to connect with any of the guests in this episode, head to the show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 114. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.